0: Good morning again. Welcome back to Christ City Church, and uh, my name is Jamin. I see uh, everybody out there knows me, uh, pastor here at Christ City, and uh, welcome those of you who are online as well, troopers, the online online troopers there for in the twenty-first month of COVID times, I guess. Um, hey, I wanted to to talk a little bit before the sermon. Um, I wanted to spend a good five minutes talking about this church-wide campaign uh, that we're starting today. And you've seen some pieces of it already. The sermon series we're in right now is a piece of it, as well as the soup kitchen uh, 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 um, plan and activities that we got going on with that. But it's called uh, called Tending Shoots and Dressing Vines. I think we got the, the graphic there up on the screen. And this, this, is a, this is a church-wide campaign in which we're asking the question, we started talking about this in the sermon last week, but asking the question, what do we do with what we've been given? So we've all been given uh, a different set of circumstances, a different set of, of uh, life experiences, of finances, of family, of friends, of time. And so, This juncture in our personal lives and in our church's life, we're asking this question: uh, What what do we do with what we've been given? And so we're talking about that in two different ways. The first way is tending shoots, which a shoot is something. uh, If you if you do any gardening or know anything about gardening, it's it's when a plant has just started to sprout out of the ground and it's tender and it's fragile. Um, and uh, it's got that little little strip of green coming up against the horizon. And then dressing vines is about more established plants uh, that have to be pruned, that have to be trellised, that have to be cared for in really specific ways in order for them to be able to produce the fruit that they're made to produce. And so the, the shoots that we are wanting to tend and cultivate right now, there's a lot of them. So we've we've brought new partners uh, in. That's our version of membership. We've brought some new partners in just recently here into the fold that have made that commitment that Amanda was talking about earlier. Uh, we've had uh, new attenders. We've had new uh, baptisms of uh, children and uh, adult Beejith Bij- uh, that uh, I hope hope to get him up here to, to share at some point. He's got a really uh, beautiful story to share. Um, and also uh, children. I mean, you guys know about the vaccines. We got lots of families with little kids. Give it a few more weeks. Vaccines, time change, adjustments. We've got more kids coming back into Christ City Kids, and we're really excited about that. And also uh Middle schoolers. We've got more families that have middle school age children, and we're connecting that with a ministry that's been, that Christ City has supported called Crossroads. And uh, the Soup Kitchen as well. That's a new shoot that we are tending. I've been a part of Christ City for over eight years, and in the early seasons of Christ City, there was a lot of really good talk and rhetoric about serving. And one of the critiques in the church was often, yeah, but then what do we do about it? And so um, as somebody who's been really passionate since I first, caught wind of the Jesus of the Gospels, become really passionate about Mercy and Justice Ministries, we've been slowly and incrementally building that more and more intentionally into our culture. And so the soup kitchen is, it makes a lot of sense. It answers that question really well. What do we do with what we've been given? Mandy and I were sitting around uh, the table in the office that we now have here. We moved our offices into this building a few months ago, and many of you helped with that. Thank you so much. Um, And we're like, man, we've got John Rainey over here who loves to cook. He invites us to come eat with us uh, on Tuesdays. He made us meatloaf last week, and it was delicious. And, uh, And we've got... Uh, this connection to this space that we rent, and he's already got a connection with people who are in need, people who are experiencing homelessness, and we also we 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 had a ministry connected to another ministry that provided healthcare, and that closed down during COVID, and so we were providing meals for people there, and we thought, well, how to all how could all these things work together, and we realized that the that the best way forward was to start this soup kitchen in which we paid John for his time, provided the food out of our missions budget. We had a missions budget with plans to do things last year and this year that, uh, that didn't, didn't happen. And we don't just absorb that back into our regular budget. We keep our missions and our benevolence separate only for emergencies and for people who need help in our congregation and for missions in our city. And so that was how the soup, the soup kitchen was born. And so we're really excited about that. And we think that's a big opportunity for our church to experience the love and care of God in a interdependent way. And we talked about that in the sermon last week as well, that interdependence and those, uh, those precedences for that in, in the gospels and uh, in the story of First Kings. We also... Uh, want to be vine dressers, and so we have a new leadership pipeline, and there are nine folks in there who are committed to a 10-month-long process of developing their skills as a leader in Christ City. These are people who have been faithfully attending, have been showing up, and have been working their uh, working with their gifts and exercising their natural leadership, and uh, we are are cultivating that more with them over the next 10 months. And out of that, we hope we will have new elders and new leaders in other areas. And if you want to be a part of a process like that, let me know and and we can get you into a process like that. Uh, we've got continued benevolence. We've been able to support and care for a lot of people during this time. If you have needs, let us know. We're, we're dressing vines by moving deeper into our eight practices. And I've been leading a study on that. And when that's done, we'll also have a curriculum that uh, I've been developing as we go that will be available for story group leaders there. Um, and uh, and we're rebuilding our story groups. Uh, our, our story groups uh, petered out over Zoom uh, during the first leg of COVID. So those are the details, the nuts and bolts of what we're actually doing to tend shoots and dress vines. Now, um, this is a this is a kind of a, a house kind of discussion here. Uh, but most of you are are well well acquainted with the church. But we've got to raise uh, money beyond what we've got coming in in order to continue to do the things that Christ City is doing and is called to do. So. Um, Right now, you know, this is kind of where we're at with about 30 to 40 adults on a Sunday morning, and Mandy uh, took it upon herself to kind of figure out what it looks like on a monthly basis. There's about 70, uh, around 70, 70 to 80 adults that attend and that are a part of Christ City on a Sunday morning over the course of a, of a month, and then we have teenagers and children, rounds it out, a little over 100 folks that are, con- that are part of our worship services. Um, so uh, what, what we uh, anticipate by the end of uh, the year is that according to our expenses, we'll be short about $30,000 from our expenses. And um, seems, seems like a lot of money, um, and maybe it could be, uh, but uh, our goal is, is to raise not 30, but $40,000 by the end of the year. And that's part of our church-wide campaign. So just to be clear, our soup kitchen and our other mission and benevolence, those are funds that stay only for those purposes. So that's what we're doing That We're talking about our expenses to make the church run. And so we're asking every household to consider what they can contribute. This is a great time if you haven't started giving to Christ City, and you've experienced growth or you feel like this is a place where you can belong and know God, to think about how you want to contribute. Um, because this is, our, this is our opportunity, this is kind of a crucial moment in time to see what Christ City will get to be in the next year. Another part of that is pledging what you think your tithes and offering will be uh, for uh, 2022 because that's how we set our budget and partners. We'll talk about this more in depth in our partners meeting. So that's what this little card is for. It's just to give you um, three things on there in your in your bulletin to sign up for the soup kitchen, uh, to give to our end of the year giving campaign, tending shoots, dressing vines, and uh, to pledge for 2022. The pledge is is primarily for our partners, but. Uh, If you want to pledge, that's super helpful to us if you intend to give and and tithe an offering. Um, So this is an opportunity for all of us to to invest in something uh, that we care about and that we believe in. Um, I will say uh, that uh, a couple uh, in our congregation has already donated $8,000 to that $40,000 total and that uh, my, my family uh, is committed to another 1,000. So that already puts us uh, to the um, uh, 30, 31,000 mark. So it's not even a $40,000 campaign anymore, it's, it's 31,000. Um, so that's a little bit about this uh, campaign and I'm actually really excited about it, even though um, it's also scary. So if you wanna know more about it, feel free to ask me or Mandy about it and um, consider how you're gonna be a part of this and, uh, and contribute to this and get to see how God works in and through your gifts and your sacrifice in that way. Um, yeah, so uh, let's go ahead and stand for the reading of the word at this point. And we'll pray over all of this. So the passage comes from the book of Mark, selectionary passage this morning, and it's Mark chapter 13, verses one through eight. It's on page 825 in the Pubac Bible, if anybody's using that, 825. Hear the word of the Lord. As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look, teacher, What massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus? Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign that they are all that they are all about to be fulfilled. Verse 5. Jesus said to them, "Watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So, Lord, Father, we offer up this time to you. We offer up uh, this, this time in your word, as well as the, the Tending Shoes, Dressing Vines uh, campaign and all the pieces of that. Would you uh, gather us up? Would you encourage us and strengthen us? and give us as a congregation and individually uh, the faith and the courage and the love that we need uh, to move forward and towards you in this coming week. In your name we pray, amen. So um, again, this this sermon series is is part of this Tending Shoots and Dressing Vines uh, campaign. And last week, we, we looked at a passage in 1 Kings where we saw... Uh, the prophet Elijah, dependent upon the the generosity and the faith of a widow in the time of a famine, and we we looked at the the aspects of trusting in God that Uh, are revealed in an interdependent relationship where we not only think about how we give to others, but also how we receive, that both of those things are essential to understanding the deep well of love that God has for each one of us. And today we're looking at uh, a passage where Jesus is starting to describe how things are going to fall apart. Uh, It's called... uh, by some scholars, this passage is called a little apocalypse. Uh, So what does it look like when the things that the disciples and the whole Jewish culture and people have come to trust in more than anything else fall apart, literally fall apart, the temple, right? And the title uh, this morning is Enough to Know. What is enough for us as believers to know in order to act in faith on the things that God has given us to do in this world and in this life. How much information do we need? So have you ever had somebody, when when you ask like, well, how did you know it was the the right time or the right person or whatever? And they just said, oh man, I just kind of knew. Like, you'll just know, man, when it's the right time. Or like, like you ask him, like, how did you know she was the one or he was the one? Oh, I just kind of knew it, man. Like, I just, I just knew it, so, like deep inside. Or, or it's like, how do I know when to, when to leave this job, right? It's like, you'll just feel it on the inside. You'll just know. Um, can you imagine if like you went to a financial advisor and he said like, hey, how do I know when to transfer this money into this 401k or do this? And, and he was like, well, you're just gonna know like it just it's just gonna occur to you it's just your heart's just gonna know that's that's what you need to do or like hey what do i do when when my kids are whining constantly like what's the point where i can just like jump through the window which I told my kids like yesterday, I said, I'm about to jump through the window and I'm not opening it first, I'm just diving through and maybe something will get cut and I just won't have to deal with it. <laughs> that, that was grim, I didn't say that part to them, but I did think it, <laughs> I could just bleed out and it'd all be over. Oh, that's how much whining was going on in my house. And somebody, what if somebody was like, yeah, you'll just know when it's time to like abandon your kids, right? And you'll just feel it in your heart, right? Um, the, the reality, though, is as human beings, what we are often doing is we're making decisions based on knowing this much and not knowing way more than that. Isn't, isn't that true? Like it, there's even this thing called the, the Dunning-Kruger effect, and it shows that like, the less we know, like, the more confident we are about what we think we know how to do, uh, because we don't know so much. We, we just think we, like, yeah, I got this. Like, It's totally gonna work out. Man, there's so many examples of that I could share from my teenage years. Um, so many things, I still lay down sometimes and I'm like, oh, I could have died then. I could have died then when I was a teenager. They just flash before my eyes. For whatever reason, as human beings, the only creatures on earth that do this, we're obsessed with trying to know as much as we can aren't we? Don't, don't we just think sometimes like, if I just knew a little bit more about this situation that went wrong, then I would be satisfied. It's as old as, as the Garden of Eden. It's what Adam and Eve wanted. They wanted to just know more, a little bit more than they did. I mean, like they had, the, the whole world was brand new, ready to explore, and they thought, I just need to know a little bit more I just need to go extend myself a little bit more and get a little bit more. Or like in in Greek mythology, Pandora's box, right? Like just let me get that extra amount of information and everything is gonna work out all right. Or even in, in science, like all this artificial intelligence, like that's gonna eventually not work out well. Did you not see Terminator 2 in the 90s? Like it's not gonna end up well. I actually have some really sophisticated, uh, non-Dunning-Kruger thoughts on that, too, if you want to talk to me about it sometime, I promise. I'm basically an expert. Um, So this question today that we're asking is, just for the next few minutes, uh, because I already spent a long time on the the campaign, but uh, is how much is enough to know before I can act, before I can be, generous with my life, with my time, with my money, with whatever it is. And it reminds me of this quote that's probably not by Martin Luther. And he said this, (laughs) if I knew the world was to end tomorrow, I would still plant an apple tree today. So what, do you, what, what kind of things do you think you would still do if you knew the world was going to end as you knew it tomorrow? What would you do? I've, I've thought about this um, because I have three small children, so when I think about jumping out the window, I think about that. Um, but uh, I would still paint, I'm a painter. If I knew the world as we know it would end tomorrow, I would still wanna paint something. I would still wanna hug and kiss my wife and kids. I would wanna read poetry. I would still wanna help my neighbor that needed help or maybe mend a Um, I'd still wanna tell my friends and my family how much I love them, how much I appreciate them. I'd still wanna watch a sunset. If I knew the world as I, I knew it would end tomorrow, uh, th- that's what I would do. So then, The next question that I think about then is so, do I need to wait until the end of the world to do those things? Do I need to wait until time's almost up before I do those things? Those things that are running through your mind right now to tell those people that I love and appreciate them, to do that thing I've always wanted to do, to develop that skill or that hobby or like take risk, risk something big to do, that, do this thing that's been in, in my dreams and my imagination for all this time. Now the world as we know it likely won't end tomorrow. That's saying a lot, 2021. But here's what I've noticed. I've, as I've gotten older and I've watched some generations uh, above me start to get sick and die, I've seen some things that are really beautiful, but I've also seen some things that are really sad. I think we all imagine that if we knew we were gonna die or we knew that the world was gonna end as we knew it, that we would all of a sudden change and do all the things we had delayed doing. But what I've seen a lot of is people that are about to die end up not being able to do anything other than what they were already doing. So all the priorities that they didn't have for those people somehow still remain the same for most of them. Or those things that they obsessed about when they were healthy and those, those, uh, th- those things that they wanted to manage and control, those things just get more intense and more irrational. So in light of this, I think a better question for us to ask might be that not just if you knew the, the, the world outside, like every, all the big things would end um, tomorrow, but what would you do if you knew your world was ending tomorrow? Like that your view, the way you understand reality to be was going to end tomorrow. That, that the way you have decided to prioritize your life wouldn't matter the same way tomorrow as it does today. What would you do differently knowing that? How would you live? Um, in this passage, Jesus does something that's very unpopular in church right now. I don't know if it's always been that way, because I haven't lived all in all these different eras. But Jesus, he does—he does this thing that is really a hot topic right now. Josh even mentioned, you know, something about this. There's some people who have who have left uh, our church not to go to another church, but because they've deconstructed out of their faith. And and what? what Jesus offers when we, when we look to see these things is he offers a worldview that is first built up. He builds, you, builds his disciples and builds us up with his teachings. And he gives us structure. He gives us a sense of order in, in, in the world. And he does it inside of a closed kind of system of, uh, the religion that he comes up from, the Jewish religion and the scriptures. He, he gives us a sense of order, a place to stand in the world, a sense of, of, of solidity. But then he does stuff like in this passage right here, where he points to the literal manifestation of the religious order, the way of making sense of the whole world for for his disciples. And he says, this is all coming down. He throws us into disorder, into deconstruction of those systems and those things that are so sure for us. But here's what is so unique about Jesus as a leader. And we see it even in this very passage, in this chapter here. What he he doesn't do, he doesn't say, but you're not gonna uh, suffer any consequences. Only the bad people, only the other people are gonna be the ones that suffer the consequences. No, he says, reality is going to hit you like a freight train at different times. And it's gonna be hard and it's gonna be tragic. And then I'm still gonna give you the ways and the means to find hope, to still be in the midst of the chaos of the hurricane, of the wars, of the famines and say, I'm gonna plant my mother freaking apple tree right now. You, the reason why I said that quote probably isn't ascribed to Martin Luther is because the first evidence we have of it is in the 40s during World War II when uh, the, uh, the German Lutheran confessing church, so this is the church that uh, was in opposition to the Nazi regime, started saying this. So they were in the midst of a deep amount of chaos and turmoil, and this was the phrase that gave them courage and strength to continue on and be faithful to what Jesus had called them to do and to live out in their world still gonna plant the apple tree. So that's what Jesus does for his disciples here. He says, it's gonna get bad, and I'm still gonna teach you and show you how even when it gets bad for you and for you as my followers, how you will have hope enough to keep tending shoots, dressing vines, to keep planting those apple trees. What's the apple tree that you would plant? that you are going to plant, even knowing that the world might totally change tomorrow. So in verse one and two, Jesus says this, as he was leaving the temple, one of his disciples said to him, look teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Look at that flex, Jesus. Do you see all these great buildings, replied Jesus. Jesus gives no chill, no chill. Not one stone here will be left on another. Everyone will be thrown down. His disciples are asking him, in a sense, at least this is the way I read it, hey, like Jesus, you're saying a lot of crazy stuff, but like still the kind of the things that we've always trusted in to stay the same are gonna stay the same, right? And Jesus is like, not even close. Nope, it ain't. Give me that old time religion. Nope, Jesus ain't having it. Anybody grow up with that that hymn right there? (laughs) I did. Old country Pentecostal churches, we sang that one. We stomped our feet. Yeah. Uh, So he's like, this paradigm, this way you view the world, this way that makes sense of everything for you, this temple, that's how important the temple was. It's going away. So I think the point that we're in where 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 there's a lot of folks in our country, a lot of young evangelicals who have experienced real pain, real hurt, real trauma, part of how they were failed, part of how some of us were failed is we were taught a Jesus that only presented to us a world of perfect order, that if you stepped out of line, it was wrong and all of it was wrong. But I ain't never read that Jesus in the Bible. He's, he, I'm like, what? Gee, like, huh? Like, huh, what? Parables again? Come on. Here's a couple observations about what's happening here after we read verse three and four, because right after this, Jesus was sitting on verse three on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. So they're sitting there chilling on the mountain. They're looking at this view of the temple and Peter, James and John and Andrew, Andrew gets to come in on this one. I don't know, he, he usually isn't in on that. It's usually just those three. Andrew's like, hey guys, let me come too. And he comes and they said, so they asked him privately, hey, Jesus, uh, tell us when this is gonna happen. Can you, t- can you please just let us know so we can p- prepare and plan what's gonna be the sign that we can look for and know that, that this is about to be fulfilled? And uh, so they're asking him questions. And, and I just wanna offer a few observations here. The first one is that Jesus, as we see him and know him in the scriptures, he talks back. So when, when people today try to say, this is what Jesus is all about, he ascribes to my movement, my political party, Jesus would be a socialist, he would be a Republican, he would be against vaccines, he would be this, that, or the other, the Jesus of the Bible, he, he, he is not a respecter of what you want him to represent. And the disciples know that. Guess what they don't do here? What you don't hear them say is try to convince Jesus to change his position or say, Jesus, that doesn't really fit with our worldview. We need you to be like uh, uh, subscribing to what we think is going on. They just know if Jesus said it, we better try to get some more information about when this is gonna happen because it's going down. Right, So that's how they ask Jesus. They say, Jesus, when is this catastrophic, world-altering event for us that's going to disrupt and is currently disrupting everything we thought was sure-footing in the world? When is this gonna happen? And when is this gonna take place? And Jesus's answer is, Verse five, he said to them, hey, watch out that no one deceives you. Many will come in my name claiming I am he, I'm the dude I will de- and will deceive many. And he's about to go into basically t- giving them a bunch of really general things to look for that are still not gonna be the thing. <laughs> it's like, yeah, there's gonna be wars and famines and that's not gonna be it. You have to keep paying attention. You're gonna to have to stay focused on what I'm telling you to do. You're gonna to have to keep planting apple trees while there's a hurricane going on around you. That's, that's Jesus's message. And he says, there's gonna be a lot of people that tell you it's much easier than that. There's gonna be people that say, just, just trust me I've got the answers and it's gonna work out for everybody that believes what I have to say and looks like we do and sounds like we do if you just believe me. If you just put all your eggs in the basket of me as this charismatic, interesting leader and I'll tell you everything your ears want to hear. And it's just gonna so happen that how these things unfold, you're gonna be on the right side of all of them. You're not gonna suffer any loss. It's just gonna be the bad guys, the ones that don't look and sound like you, that don't have the same cultural lifestyle as you. They're gonna be the losers, and you're gonna be the winners. And isn't it sad? That's just how God is. He says, watch out for these folks. There's gonna be a ton of them. In fact, there's a giant book uh, by a historian called The Jews and Their Messiahs about this time period of all the people that rose up and said, I'm the guy, follow me, right? And in fact, this is what led to the destruction of the temple. They revolted against Rome, can't blame them, and the temple got destroyed. Short story of a long long episode. These tend to be the kind of leaders that people say of them, they just shoot it straight. They just tell it like it is, right? They just happen to have the answers nobody else has. These are the kind of leaders that Jesus is talking about here. We've got plenty of them in front of us today, promising us really easy answers to very complex problems. And Jesus says, I can't do that for you. It's gonna be hard. There's gonna be some hard stuff. You're gonna have to deconstruct the world as you know it, as you see things changing. And I'm telling you, that's actually just part of what's gotta happen for something new to be born man, I wish so bad that us in this room, that so many other people that we had met this Jesus growing up, that we had been prepared to have a faith that could be founded and and, and, uh, supported like a tree with deep roots, knowing that storms are gonna come and you won't be exempt from those storms and that you can still have big, red, juicy apples not red, like greenish pink ones, because that's the kind of, I don't, those red delicious ones are terrible. Ah, it's like eating cardboard. So Jesus said some things can't be known, and some people are gonna tell you that they can. Watch out for those folks. Last couple verses. He says, when you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. So again, Jesus ends this passage and he says, in no uncertain terms, bad stuff's gonna happen. And none of it's really gonna be the sign that you're looking for. He does give us ultimate assurance that at the end, there will be a time when things are made right. And when he returns and establishes the righteousness of God on earth, not pulling all the good people out into outer space in heaven, but establishing righteousness on earth, goodness on earth, and that that time is coming. But in the meantime, y'all, you're gonna have to like, you're gonna to have to have some football pads on while you're in the garden. <laughs> in fact, Jesus doubles down on this. He's like, you want me to give you all the answers? In verse 32 of this chapter, he says, but about that day or hour when he comes and makes everything right, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the sun. He's saying, I don't even know. I don't even know y'all. The savior of the whole world, I don't know when it's gonna be saved. So what would you still do if you knew the world was ending tomorrow? What would you do if you knew your world as you knew it was ending tomorrow? And I'll give you a hint. It's probably similar to what you're doing right now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for uh, this day. Thank you for your living presence and spirit in the words of Jesus in our community of faith here. Thank you for what you've given us to steward. Give us the faith and the courage to do it well and the grace for when we don't, amen.